running a business. So, you know, I like to be proactive with my clients on the front end, and that's really where you get the value add from your CPA. My name is Matt Tanner, and this is Franchisees United. What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode six of the Franchisees United podcast. I am your host, Matt Tanner. Today, we have the privilege of having Dustin Grizzle, a rock star CPA from MGO, onto the show. Thank Welcome you. to the show, Dustin. Appreciate it, man. So, we have so much stuff that I want to go over today because, you know, but before I even dive into that, let's talk a little bit about who you are, what you do day to day, and the firm that you work for. Okay. So, Dustin Grizzle, CPA, been doing this for about 15 years now, uh, South Florida born and, and raised. Um, my specialty is in high net worth individuals, uh, focus in real estate, franchisees, entrepreneurs. Uh, the firm that I'm working for, MGO CPA, they're based in California. They have a big presence in uh, state and local government, cannabis, uh, real estate, ultra high net worth individuals, and of course, franchises. Cool, cool. So, um, you know, one reason I wanted to bring you on to the episode today is it seems like accounting is something that's super... I don't want to say the word boring, right? But it's something that is just kind of thrown on the back burner to a lot of business owners and franchisees and myself, my brother, my family, we've all been guilty of it in the past, right? So kind of want to talk a little bit about why accounting is so important to the average franchise owner, some of the things they should be doing day to day with, you know, their QuickBooks automation, um, they're, they're, they're planning, they're preparing, they're budgeting, all sorts of stuff. So Let's talk a little bit about why it's so important to have a a good accountant and b to have good procedures and systems in place for you know the average franchisee. Okay, so let's start off with a, a good accountant. Um, so uh, before we get into that, accounting is boring. Yeah, really boring. Mm -hmm. And I make it a point to never talk about it at cocktail parties because I <laughs> see people's eyes glaze over. Yep. So um, I get that, but it's a necessity, right? Mm -hmm. um, the reason that it's so important is because it gives you a financial picture of what your business is actually doing. And the reason that you want a good accountant is because uh, good accountants are, um, you know, forward thinking and really helping you run your business. Crappy accountants are the ones that are historians, right? They tell you what happened. That's not helpful in running a business. So, you know, I like to be proactive with my clients on the front end. And that's really where you get the value add from your CPA. And it becomes less boring, right? If they're telling you how you can make more money, that's not that's that's less boring. If they can tell you where you're saving expenses, saving taxes, that's really why a good account's important. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because I actually like really I really like what you said about the historian part because I've worked with a lot of accountants over the years. I mean, my family has been through probably half a dozen different accountants and we're my brother and I are super excited to build our relationship with you with our portfolios and, and everything we have going on. Um, but you know, what you, what you said about the historian is really interesting because right when you said that, I, I'm literally thinking about the different CPAs that we've worked with yeah. that have pretty much done that. Yeah. So t talk to me a little bit more about that. Like why are some CPAs kind of wired that way versus some are more proactive and, and helping clients with planning and different things? So uh, I don't know if it's changing of the times, but it, you find with uh, older CPAs or, or people who have been in the industry a long time mm -hmm. that they're doing business the way that they've always done business and haven't adapted and evolved. 
you know, maybe you used to be able to wait 12 months before projecting out the next year. Things are moving so quickly now that you need to be possibly making changes monthly, quarterly, semi-annually, depending on what line of business you're in. And so uh, I think CPAs now have taken on the role more of an advisor, you know, business advisor, as opposed to just, uh, I like to say, puts numbers in boxes, mm -hmm. right? You know, my, my son always asked what I did when I was growing, when he was growing up. I said, ah, I put numbers in boxes, yeah. you know, just to keep it simple. <laughs> but that's what a lot of, you know, old school CPAs do is you mm -hmm. take the information at the end of the year, you talk to your clients once, and then you drop the information on a form, you know, and that, that there's really no value add there. Right, for sure. So let's talk directly to the franchisees that maybe are about to do a franchise agreement. Maybe they're about to do their build out. Maybe they're about to acquire their first location, right? What are some of the things they should be doing for, for any of those? Let's start with, um, you know, they just did their franchise agreement and they're getting close to doing their first build out. What are some of the things that are super important right off the top to you that you think they need to do from an accounting standpoint? Um, so from an accounting standpoint and from a, a business planning standpoint, they need to make sure that they know what their projected costs are and get it into a software that makes sense to them or at least makes sense to their CPA. You know, whether it's QuickBooks Online, sometimes it can be as good as an Excel spreadsheet as long mm -hmm. as it's detailed. They just need to make sure that they have forecasted and budgeted properly and have it evaluated by somebody in the industry because, you know, there may be things that people are not aware of. For example, CAM. You know, mm -hmm. common area maintenance is something that uh, first-time franchisees or people getting into a building first time, they may not understand how high the cam charge might be. Right. And so, you know, you think you're getting a property for $30 a square foot when you're really, you know, 42. Right. That materially impacts your bottom line. For sure. So it's really all about planning and then taking it the next step further after you figure out what software you're going to use is setting it up properly. You know, most people think... Oh, I'll figure it out in six months after the business is up and running. Mm -hmm. Take the five hours or the thousand dollars, whatever it's going to cost you to get an accountant and a CPA to get everything clean from day one. Mm -hmm. That way there's no cleanup, right? If it starts off the right way and you're doing things properly, there's no need to, to worry about it in the future. So what are those, some of those things that you have to start with? Like balance sheet, like what are all the different yep. things that... It, so number one is chart of accounts okay. and separating your uh, lines of businesses, right? So maybe as a franchise owner, you've got a couple other things going on. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that you have a dedicated bank account and a dedicated credit card, maybe even a dedicated line of credit associated with that business so that there's no you know transfers back and forth and commingling of funds. Mm -hmm. That way you have a, a clear picture of exactly what's happening in the franchise. So once you set up the bank accounts and the credit cards, right, then it's getting a clear chart of accounts, right? Um, many people who try to operate their own books get themselves in trouble because they create a new account every time something comes up, right? Every time there's a new expense, it's creating a new account, a new account, a new account. Start with a standard set of accounts, and if something comes up that you don't know what to do with, drop it in the Ask My Accountant line. Okay. Or other information or and I've seen that on QuickBooks online exactly okay yeah. and is that the record is that is that your suggested software that oh. people would use yeah QuickBooks online unless you're in a super uh, highly specified field mm -hmm. you know maybe really high inventory clients they might want to consider something else like there's a couple others out there I could recommend right but for almost every single run-of-the-mill business QuickBooks online is more than capable okay yeah I've uh, when I used to do my own books I would just 
I would drop tons of stuff. I would swipe it on my iPad, and I would swipe it over to ask my account. Yep. And I used to love that feature. So that's interesting. You brought it, that it up. It narrows down the uh, the hit list that CPAs have to go over with you, right? Right, right. And then you learn as a business owner. Okay, hey, now that I know where that one went that one time, you can look it up. And sometimes it even automatically codes to mm -hmm. that to that line item in the future. Right, right. So do you do you think it's important for franchisees to do their own books or to outsource it because I know it gets expensive mm -hmm. and you know talk to me a little bit about that especially like the individual operator versus someone that has 20 locations how important do you think it is for that franchisee to be familiar with their books and their profitability okay so what I would say you know I always tell my clients to figure out what their time is worth right so if their time is worth you know, $200 an hour, does it make sense to pay somebody $50 an hour to do your books when they're going to do it well? Right. right. So that's the first step. But let's say there's zero excess disposable cash mm -hmm. and they've gotten a little bit extra time. Yep. I still recommend that they engage an accountant to look over what they're doing. Right. right? So maybe instead of it taking an outside CPA five hours to look at something, maybe the, the franchise owner does five hours and then the CPA does an hour. Mm -hmm. um, especially in the beginning, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to get somebody who knows what they're doing to get you on the right path, right? right. Some of these CPAs, once they get you up and running, you can kind of take the ball and run. But in the beginning, it'll be really helpful to, to have somebody that's knowledgeable. For sure. And like the multi-unit operators, do you think there gets, a, you know, in your opinion, is there a point in time where they, it makes sense to have somebody in-house to do the bookkeeping and then as well as maybe even just an accountant in-house, like at what scale do you think it's worth it for them to invest in somebody in-house or do you think it's 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 just more important or it makes more sense to, to work with a professional and outsource it? So to have a full-time in-house accountant, it's probably, a, we're talking a pretty big scale. You yeah. know, maybe over five or seven locations, okay. something like that, depending on the, the sales volume. The volume and the profitability, yeah. of course. Um, uh, typically, what I would advise is, uh, you know, somebody who is QuickBooks knowledgeable mm -hmm. that hat that wears other hats, right? So if you've got somebody that's a talented business manager or ops person that has five extra hours a month, maybe that makes sense to have them also do the QuickBooks as long as they're qualified to do so. Right. Right. Then it becomes a cost benefit analysis. You can kind of like allocate their salary between different positions. Exactly. So um, one thing that I will caution is, you know, everybody thinks that they can, um, they can do, you know, the books and they think they're mm -hmm. going to do the books. What ends up happening is the, the equipment that broke takes priority over the books. The person that you need to hire takes priority over the books. So what ends up happening is you're six months down the road mm -hmm. and you don't know why you've got, you know, 200 bucks in the account yeah. because you haven't been evaluating it the entire time. I've got a horror story of a, of a client that I work with, owns a hotel franchise, and every single year it's a, you know, you have to do QuickBooks this year, you have to. Oh, it's top of my priority list. We get to the end of every year along the whole way, and don't they don't touch it all year. Yeah, and no. I think you, made, you brought up a good point because as business owners or franchisees, you know, your intent, the intent is there. Like, he wants to do QuickBooks, I'm sure, yep. but... If you lose a key manager or employee, what's really the true priority to you? Is it doing your bookkeeping or is it getting in the trenches, hiring a new person, making sure your business is good? And I, I, I can, you know, I have empathy for that. I can understand as a business owner, you know, you, you, you 
have the right intent to do what you know you should be doing, but then all of a sudden things happen, right? And you have to manage your business and you have to, you know, do the right things to get your business back up and running properly. So I do understand that. So I guess let's kind of, you know, pivot into when we're setting up, kind of going back to, you know, starting a franchise location. Talk to me about the franchise fee. So like the upfront, the upfront expense that you pay the franchisor to have the rights to their to you know use their brand, yeah. as well as you know your royalty cost when you're managing your business and throughout the the franchise agreement. So talk to me about what you can do from an accounting perspective with that franchise fee, as far as writing it off and and you know all of that stuff. Yeah. So so the franchise fee um, obviously it it depends on the agreement. Mm-hmm. So you need to figure out what the agreement says. Is that is it a one time upfront cost? Some of them are you know. Um, annual plus a percentage of, of sales, you know, it's there, there's varying levels and, you know, we try to take the most aggressive position we can right. within the law yep. to get the taxpayers as much of a write-off in that initial year as we possibly can. Yep. Um, it's important for cash flow purposes that they do determine what their all-in franchise cost is going to be mm-hmm. over the course of the first uh, 12 to 18 months, because if you got the big hit out front, and then six months later, you've got another, or, or quarterly, you've got another. That's going to severely impact cash flow needs, especially while you're doing build out and you're doing, um, you know, hiring, and right. you know the revenues aren't coming in yet. Right. People don't. Uh, the biggest mistake that people make when they're starting a business, especially a franchise, mm-hmm. because of the front loaded cost, is they don't project how slowly the sales follow the investment. Right. right? So it may be a three, six month window of right. where you're running cash flow negative yeah. during that process. And another thing I've seen to kind of play off of that here is the restaurant franchise owners, usually they have that honeymoon period where they're slammed in the beginning, yeah. but then they hit that cash flow problem after a couple of months. And I've seen that with so many operators and so many restaurant and franchise owners. So how do you prepare for that? Because that's kind of that's kind of the reverse where you have all this cash coming in in the first 30 days yeah. and you're like, you're ecstatic, right? You're making money, you're hiring more people, you're investing more into your marketing and then all of a sudden maybe a slow season comes up. How do you prepare for that? So I typically uh, uh, advise all my clients to get a very good banking relationship. Mm-hmm. And so not only are should the franchise owners be uh, economically planning for yeah. that downturn because it is pretty, you know, it's it's a pretty uh, cyclical, you know, thing yeah. that you can predict. Uh, but they should also have a working line of credit with a bank. They should have a good relationship with a bank mm-hmm. where they can draw down on some debt during the periods where things do slow down, yeah. right? Because the last thing you want to do is take your foot off the gas pedal, right? If you've got, if you've got people interested in your restaurant, you don't want to say, okay, hey, we're gonna we're gonna keep all our money because we're gonna hit a slow period, right? You yeah. still want to be smart about pumping money into, you know hiring and the marketing uh, marketing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But good working line of credit is probably one of the best ways to to plan for that. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of, a lot of uh, franchisees that go acquisition mode, they go SBA financing. So talk to me a little bit about that because I, I, I personally love SBA financing. I mean, anytime you get the chance to amortize it over 10 plus years and then you have good cash and cash returns and good monthly cash flow, um, I think it's a it's a great opportunity to you know get some leverage and, and, and 
and buy really well or high performing businesses. Yep. So what have you seen with, with the SBA model? So um, I'll, I'll tackle two different sides of that. So on mm -hmm. the SBA model, it's excellent, just like all the, the high points that you mentioned. Yep. They're also, um, I'll, I'll say, simpler to qualify for than like a traditional financing from a bank would be. Uh, and is know, that because the government backs it? Yeah. Okay. So you don't typically need audited financials in order to get SBA loans unless they're of a, above a certain threshold. Mm -hmm. um, but more specifically on the opposite side, I would encourage people who go into acquisition mode to spend the money on due diligence on the the acquiring companies, right? The companies that they're going after. Yeah. I think sometimes people rely too heavily on, you know, oh, they're in a great location and they've had great sales. Yeah, right? they get blinded by the light. Exactly. Yep. So I would encourage them to take a, take the foot off the gas pedal, mm -hmm. maybe engage a third party uh, like a CPA, an attorney, a business advisor mm -hmm. to have them just take a second set of eyes on a set of books to highlight where maybe some problems are, whether it's a economic slowdown in the area, you know, maybe it's disinterest in that particular brand in that area. Maybe a new competitor jumped up across the street. Yep. You know, I always try to tell myself, well, why are they selling? Yep. Right. And think about what's going on in that industry. In the, you know, maybe it's a perfect scenario and you're buying yep. at the right time and they're just looking to get out. Right. Right. But there could be underlying issues just underneath the hood that you need to take a look at. Yeah. And it's there's going back to what you said about why are they selling? That's always something my brother and I always think about so much because we're just, you know, when we look at a business that's making hundreds of thousands a year and they have a GM running it and they're involved in other things, we always think, why would they sell that? Because buyers are winning. Buyers that overpay for businesses are still winning in the long run more times than not yep. from what we've seen. And it just doesn't make sense at times why, why business owners are selling their businesses. You have to really... Do your due diligence and understand why they're selling their business, um, especially with you know, especially with individual you know individual franchise operators, um, you know, because what we've seen a lot of franchisees they're just you know, and sometimes it's very genuine. They're just very tired of their business, and a lot of times you know, I've kind of back in my days in Tuscaloosa, I made a living off buying businesses from owners that were just tired of it. Yeah. And then also um, one of my locations was an absentee owner and you can just see this. It's important to be able to look at a business and, you know, and see what's wrong with it, you know, as far as what's actually going on, but then also having someone like a CPA or someone that can do the due diligence with the bookkeeping and all that stuff. And in the franchise industry, the nice thing is you can get like those certified sales reports yeah. And you can see the POS systems. You're able to see exactly what their sales are. And one thing that we've seen a lot of is through acquisition is we don't even really care about a franchisee's P&Ls. As crazy as that sounds, yeah. we say, okay, what's the rent? What's their top line? Like, what's their revenues? And then we have our own pro formas that we use. Yeah. And especially if you're if you're kind of accustomed to a certain brand or industry. You just know what, what, what truly matters is what you as the buyer can do with that business once you own it. And of course it matters what they were making and all that stuff. But what's important to us when we look at businesses is we want to know what their rent, what their lease looks like, and then what kind of sales they're doing. And then we can kind of see from the outside looking in, okay, we can run the business better or worse, or can we keep it the same? And does it make sense to buy the business? But kind of touching on what you said, I just think it's crazy um, you know, I, I think it's crazy to not do real due diligence when you're looking at a business and I see it all the time of people that are kind of, 
they're they have just so much confidence in their abilities to grow the business yep. based on what they're seeing, but they're not really doing proper due diligence. So do you help a lot of a lot of franchise or business clients do the due diligence and what's your process like when you do that? Yeah. Uh, so actually it's a very similar approach to what, what you talk about mm -hmm. is you know, we determine what the, the top sales numbers are. We like to look for trends. Right. So we look for several years, right? If you're if you're seeing the trend line going down significantly each year, mm -hmm. that would be an indication to us that, you know, maybe something's going on there. Yep. But then we look at their fixed overhead, right? Those costs that you can't get away from. Right. The rent, the you know, the profit margin per per product or whatever you're selling. Right. Um, and then what we do is we back out. Uh, you know how you say you bring a pro forma in. Yeah. What we do is we take their P and L and we back out the expenses. You know maybe the uh, the owner's taking too high of a compensation. Yeah. Or you know. Or they're writing their insurance off. Yeah. Or they, their they son's got car. Cars. Yeah. You know, <laughs> their their son, their wife, and you know their dog work there. You know it's we 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 we, we do the opposite of what you do, and yep. so where that would be beneficial is you know if I always ask the business owner what do you think is going on here. Not only in their own business, I always right. ask that question, how do you think this year went? Mm -hmm. And then I tell them what the numbers say the year went, and then we find a way to meet in the middle of like, okay, here's why either your perception is wrong, perception is wrong, or mm -hmm. here's why my perception is wrong. And we kind of figure out what the numbers are saying versus how the owner operator feels. And we do the same on acquisition as backing out those expenses that really don't make sense, and then determining fixed overhead. Uh, yeah. It's really the way to do it. And you almost need someone with a conservative or like a pessimistic view on it because I'm telling you, as like an entrepreneur or like a business owner, you always – you just want to do deals left and right and yeah. you just think that you can buy any business and you can turn it around and you can be the hero and it's just not always the case. And you know, especially looking at the leases, I mean it's huge. You know, So many people don't – so many business owners don't really look at their lease and understand it enough and having someone that can really dive into that. Like, is there a personal guarantee? And that's that's a whole other conversation yeah. for another episode that we could, you know, dive into um, left and right and so many different things to talk about. But what else do you want to kind of go over here with, with franchisees? What are you seeing? What do you think that they need to know about, really? So, really, the biggest one from that I always want to advise clients of is, let's say you've been a operator or a GM of a franchise, right? And you mm -hmm. think that you can go out and do this on your own, Right. You're now transitioning from a W-2 employee to a business owner. Yep. Okay. That comes with roles and responsibilities from the federal and tax side of things that you're probably not prepared for. Yeah. And so it's really setting yourself up with a good set of professionals. Um, the, the three that I always recommend are uh, bankers, mm -hmm. attorney, and CPA. Get yourself three trusted people that know the industry that you're getting into mm -hmm. and have them be... Uh, essentially your board of directors, right? You're, you're going out and you're buying one franchise. Yeah. So have a board of directors, yeah. right? Even if it costs you a little bit of money on the front end, you will not regret it on the back end. So uh, the best example is for, um, for taxes, you have to register for unemployment tax. You have to register for sales tax. You have to register, um, you know, in the biz, uh, in the state that you're doing it. And then you have filing requirements that mm -hmm. you have to meet. Some of them are monthly, some of them are quarterly, and some of them are annually, right? Mm -hmm. These are things that you need a, an advisor, you need a CPA that's doing it regularly yeah. to help you out with. And then um, more importantly is quarterly taxes. When you're a W-2 employee, 
um, and now you're making the transition to owner, nobody's withholding on your taxes now. These, uh, these income items that you're earning through the franchise flow through to your personal tax return, mm -hmm. which means that you are now responsible for the tax. I can't tell you how many people think that they've got, you know, $100,000 in their personal account in reserves, you know, just extra money that they're holding on to. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, you owe 50 of that to the IRS, <laughs> you know, plus penalties and interest because you haven't been making payments all along. Right. And that those first couple of years on the tax side are typically a surprise to people who are making the transition from employee to, to franchise owner. Right, right. So one last topic I wanted to go over that we didn't even touch on yet. Um, how how do you recommend franchisees should compensate their key employees? So whether it's a GM or, a, you know, maybe it's a district manager, how, do, how should they go about compensating those individuals? So depending on the industry, you can get pretty creative. Mm -hmm. um, but what we, we see frequently is, you know, some kind of base salary with a, uh, some form of compensation related to the performance. Right. Whether you want to tie it into a, a net revenue number, mm -hmm. gross revenue, net profit, you know, there are a couple different ways to slice that, and it would depend on the industry. Right. But um, for, for key employees, you want to structure their compensation so that they have more incentive for the business doing well. Um, so uh, along with doing, you know, performance-based stuff, we'll also recommend doing some kind of profit-sharing plan on the retirement side, right? So if you care about these employees, and especially the key employees, you want to make sure that they're funding their retirement as well. Yeah. And so you can do that by instituting a profit sharing plan, which gets them some tax deferred income, mm -hmm. right? And that's, that's a win because they're saving 20 to 30% in taxes in that extra compensation. So when the business owner, like what you're just saying about them putting money into a retirement plan for, for the key employee, yeah. Would they just directly put the money in, or would they pay the employee and they would then contribute it to it? It's a, it's a check cut directly from the franchise owner uh -huh. into a special account for the benefit of the key employee. Okay, and then how how do they go about? How does the franchisee or the business owner go about writing that off? Then it's just it's just wages. Yeah, it's, it's a deduction. It's actually a, it's a benefits deduction. So you get okay. it as like a retirement plan deduction, and um, you know we, we help our clients structure. Uh, retirement plan benefits and you know not to sound greedy but we we heavily favor the owners right so that the owners get to contribute the most money to their own pocket so they take it from their right pocket they put it into their left pocket and they get a deduction for it right so it's a no-brainer for for most owners and then they in order to be able to do that they have to fund some of their other employees retirements as well but it's disproportionately large to themselves so uh, most clients that have some extra cash flow really enjoy that uh, savings, tax savings opportunity. Yeah. So what are some of the other key deductions that, that franchisees should be taking or that you see that they're not taking sometimes what they should be? Yeah. So it's really, um, you know, it, it's being um, thoughtful about your business and the timing of deductions. So, um, you know, you I tell clients to never spend a dollar to save 30 cents, right? You don't want to spend money that you don't have to right. just to get a 30% deduction. Well, so many people use it as an excuse. They're like, oh, I can lease a car yes. because it's a write-off. Yes. So, you know, tell me about a little bit about that. <laughs> so, so what I tell, what, what I like to tell them is, you know, pick things that you actually have to do and have to spend money on. So, right. for example, let's say you know a fryer 
in the restaurant industry is mm-hmm. gonna it's going any day now. And right. we're we're near we're in December. Right, right. I would tell them to buy it in December, buy the new fryer in December, sell get rid of the old one in January, mm-hmm. and that way we've created a deduction in that current year and mm-hmm. gotten the full write off, accelerating it a full twelve months. You know, just by purchasing it in December as opposed to January. Right. So it's planning like that. Um, sometimes tax incentives come along, like if you buy a large SUV. So let's say you were planning on buying a uh, an Explorer, but you could go up to a Yukon, and you know the price difference is five thousand dollars. But now you get to write off sixty five grand in the first year because you made the decision along with your accountant to buy just a little bit bigger car. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't work for everybody, but those are the types of things that you walk through when you're trying to figure out how can we get some extra benefit, right? Get some extra deductions. Right. And one additional comment on the profit sharing plan, mm-hmm. clients love this, is you don't have to actually fund some of these contributions until nine months into the next year. So you can actually see so let's say for 2019, you can create a deduction for 2019 mm-hmm. in September of 2020 just by seeing how your year went and you have to fund it by the time you file your extended tax return. So if your extended tax return isn't due until September, you don't have to pay the deduction until... So you can get the write-off without actually paying it out. Correct. Yep. Okay. So how could that work for an employee? Because you know, I know like some if, if, a, if a franchisee just had a phenomenal year... And say they have a couple key employees um, that they know are with them for the long run. Yeah. How can they go about giving them maybe a huge bonus or even maybe an advance in pay in maybe November or December for that calendar year for the future? What's the best way for them to do that? Um, so what I uh, what I've seen is people giving. Um, so let's say you did a great job and I wanted to give you a hundred thousand dollar bonus for something. Yeah. What I would do is I would structure it where you get 50 now, mm-hmm. you get 25 in three months and you get 25 in another three months, right? Where I'm staggering it out to keep you still incentivized, but I've told you, Hey, your bonus is a hundred. So you just feel like an agreement. Yeah. And then you can use that agreement as like, you write off the full hundred K even though you've only paid out 50. Yet? It depends. Okay. So, so with depending on how uh, important they are and if they own any share of the company, yeah. that determines when you have to pay it out by. Okay. So like sometimes, uh, you know, let's say they own none of the company. What you could do is you could give them 50 now and then 50 in, I think it's like February. It has to be paid out before like March 15th, I think is the deadline. Okay. If that's you want to get the full deduction yeah, yeah. in 2019. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. I, I never knew it. I honestly didn't know that. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. It's, so. it's a crude compensation. Cool. Yeah. So we, did I ask you what your advice was for a franchisee? Did you already do that one? Yes. Okay. So next question. Um, who is somebody that should be on the show for the future as we wrap up here? That's a great question. Uh, I've been thinking about it a little bit. Uh, I don't know uh, if you guys are, are, are friends of uh, Chick-fil-A, but I know an owner-operator that's got two stores, okay. and he's on uh, boards of the, like, they've got, you know, boards that they run out of Atlanta, so he's yeah. a pretty heavy hitter in the, you know, one of the top grossing. Is he local Chick-fil-A. or no? Yeah, he's local. I'd love to, love to meet him. Yeah. So, Paul Kiedis, excellent dude. Um, and he's getting the the West Boca store, and if you know oh, Chick Fil A's nice. model, they don't give two stores. Yeah, very because very you have, rare. You have to be present at both of them all the time. Yeah, which. But he's done so well with. Uh, he does all of the FAU games. Uh, he does uh, just 
massive catering numbers. He's got mm. the Chick-fil-A truck, the, the food truck, wow. and then the mall. So. Yeah. I, I, Chick-fil-A is an incredible brand. You know, It's not something I would ever get into just because of the fact that you can't do multi, multiple locations yeah. and really build and do other things. And you have to work there like but, 40 plus hours a week. Like yeah. they, they make sure that the owner operators are actually there. Their model is very, very impressive. So yeah. it's I would I would love to have a Chick-fil-A franchisee on the Great. show. So I'll definitely reach out to him, try to get him on here. So yeah. Um, that's pretty much it. Any last last words or anything you want to touch on? No, I think this has been great. I appreciate you guys bringing me in. Yeah, thank you so much. So, right. Thanks, guys, for listening to episode six of the podcast. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. We're at Franchisees United.